Welcome to yet another episode of the Reenactors Corner. And in this episode, we're going to talk about cameras and photography in reenactment. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here today again with Lassa. How are you doing today, Lassa? Oh, I'm doing fine. I actually quit, uh, didn't quit work. I ended the day earlier, just nine hours in. And uh, so that's a um, very pleasing feeling. And then I watched a movie and I went to buy World War II books. What about you? Nice. That sounds like a great day. What movie did you watch? I watched uh, the Ford versus Ferrari movie. Oh, that sounds cool. It it was awesome. That's a period movie, yeah. Well, nineteen sixty six. Almost Vietnam. So I am excited today to introduce our guest, um, whose name is Casey. He's a reenactor in my reenactment unit, and we are going to talk today about uh, photography and reenactment, which is a particular specialty of Casey. So welcome to the podcast, Casey. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. Yeah. So I myself. I've been reenacting for almost 20 years, but, and when I started reenacting, there was no, like, there, no one really had a digital photo, so all the photos that we took were film photos, which I took with a 35, uh, 35 millimeter disposable, like, fun saver camera, and the pictures were okay, but they weren't anything great, and when digital cameras came out and eventually phones could take good pictures, you know, I switched over to that stuff, and then maybe around five or six years ago, by chance, I happened to find a a 1930s German box camera at an antique store, and I bought it just because I thought it was a cool thing and was surprised to find out that you could still get film for this thing. And that kind of started a, a journey for me of taking reenactment photos with um, 1930s and wartime German box cameras. And... I love it, and I really, really regret very much that I didn't use box cameras or period cameras to take photographs, um, w- like in my earlier years of reenacting, um, because I think my photos would have been so much better. Not just having them on film, but to me, there's something about period uh, lenses that just I don't know. I just think it looks especially realistic, and I really like the results I get with these cameras. I mean, um, I've been into photography for the, uh, I don't know, all my life, basically. Um, and I've had it as a profession or part of a profession for um, 10 years now, almost. Casey, why don't you just tell us a little bit about like your experience in reenacting and how you got into it and stuff for people who don't know you. All right. Uh, I'm in Chris's group. Um, I got into reenacting in 2011, 2012 time frame. Uh, I was big into like World War II in high school, and I did a little bit of airsoft. And I always I knew about reenacting. I wanted to get into it. And then um, when I went to the Marines and got uh, went to boot camp, one of my friends had gone to a reenactment that I airsofted with, and uh, that's how I found my way in. I've been uh, obsessed with it ever since, but as far as film goes and shooting film at reenactments 
I really liked uh, taking pictures at reenactments and whatnot, uh, but I didn't really like the digital aspect of it, and I really wish there was a way to, you know, get like that original feel like you see in original photos. And believe it or not, you two, uh, Chris and Lassa, were kind of like the big uh, motivation to get me into it because I didn't, I before Chris, I saw your photos. Um, I didn't think it was possible. You know, I didn't think the film was out there or the cameras were hard to get. But with your box camera photos, really got me into buying one. And I think it was like 2016 or 2017 that I got my first box camera, and I've been just buying cameras ever since. And then after seeing uh, Lasso's film with his eight millimeter uh, film that he went to Normandy with, that that took me overboard, and I've just been buying stuff ever since. Yeah, Lasso, you do. You and uh, Casey both do photography with still cameras as well as with uh, period film cameras. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I've never I've never done that. I think that's really cool. Well, I mean, it is as simple as a box camera. You basically point and shoot. I've used Casey's camera a few times, and uh, it seems easy enough to shoot. But the like getting the film, loading the film, and then unloading the film and developing the film seems to be. Uh, a lot more challenging than you know just a simple roll of uh, 120 or 35 millimeter film yeah certainly uh, I mean loading it is more difficult as you have to thread the film around different rollers that have like the a good enough tension on it and everything but um, once <laughs> once it's in it's good and developing the film's not too bad either it's uh there's a couple places in the United States that uh, develop film is one place uh, the film photography project they do uh, pretty cheap developing too it's like 50 bucks for developing scanning you know before that it was kind of hard to get kind of hard to get place um, yeah you can also um, develop the uh, uh, film yourself as well it's a little bit more tedious than regular stills uh, photography um, or stills rolls processing but it is absolutely possible especially if it's a black and white role. So I guess speaking of processing film, um, I mean, I, I'll just go a little bit into kind of how I came to do this. When I first started taking photos, I was shooting a roll of 120 film through my old box cameras, and then uh, I would mail that to a place in California called the Darkroom, and they would develop it and scan it, and then um, email it to me and also send back my negatives and send me a CD with the pictures on it. But that was very expensive. I mean, it wasn't very expensive, but it was like, I don't know, it was maybe $12 or something to get the stuff developed and scanned. And then the the film costs $5, say, and you only get eight shots on a roll of 120 film with most of these box cameras. So I was paying about $2 for every shot that I took. Um, and then I found a local place that was a photo lab that would develop the film for me for a cheap price. Um, and then I would scan it myself. I invested in a film scanner. It cost me about $175. And after I got that scanner, I could get the local place to just develop my film. And it cost me maybe $8 in total or something. So it was down to a dollar a shot on a 120 roll and then eventually I spent probably less than a hundred more dollars 
certainly less than a hundred. It really wasn't very much money at all that I that I had to spend to buy a developing tank and um, a thermometer and a measuring cup and chemicals. Um, and then now when I shoot film, the only cost to me to develop a roll of film is the cost of the chemicals, which is less than a dollar a roll. Um, so this has become very economical for me to do. Uh, I probably had to spend maybe $250 or something in total, but now um, it's really cheap for me to do this. And that's, I was really shocked at how, how easy it was to develop this stuff. Casey, I know you develop your own film also now. Yeah, I do. I uh, had kind of a similar thing with you. I got the uh, developing tank first. I believe it was only it was thirty dollars, maybe. Uh, you can develop one twenty and thirty five millimeter film, and then I buy the pre made chemicals, the developer and the fixer. Um, I don't do as much film, so it's kind of a case by case basis. And then eventually, I had bought my own scanner as well, which was I think the same price as yours. I think I have the same one and. It's very cheap. It's very, it's pretty fast to do. Um, I can usually develop and scan and uh, a film within, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half. Yeah, Lassa, do you do you develop? I mean, I know you do this kind of professionally, but the the photos that you take for reenacting, do you develop those? Uh, yeah, I did. I actually remember my first roll processed ever was in um, in just a shed with a uh, with a kitchen pot. But um, I moved on to, as you said, a um, a proper processing tank, and I was just processing uh, for myself. And then I joined a darkroom community in uh, in my local town, and actually did uh, some started doing more with like the um, actually processing and developing a, every individual photo on paper as well as so it would be as authentic as possible as well. But I've kind of stopped doing that because it takes a lot of time. And I haven't processed anything in quite a while because recently I've just been sending out the rolls to a uh, place that that uh, processed them for me for pretty cheap uh, per roll, like a $3, $4 or something. And I just find it worth because I have a very busy time uh, recently. So I just find it... Um, more convenient to just ship it out and then I get the negatives back and I scan them myself yeah I've never printed my um, photos um, I just scan them and share them that way I don't have them in any hard copy form you know I just make like a high resolution scan and then I can share that with people in my group or I can post it on Facebook or put it on our website or whatever I want to do with it yeah but you do take care of the uh, negatives right I do keep all the negatives. Uh, I don't know about take care of them, but I I chuck them in a folder, and I've got this just giant folder <laughs> full of negatives now, you know. And I'm sure they're getting dusty and scratched, but I don't know. I some I've I've got to print some of them out. I do. I have uh, the same filing system, except I use a uh, grocery bag. Nice. That's in my closet. That's good. Yeah. I say that I chuck them in a folder, but actually where I'm sitting right now, I'm like looking at negatives here on my desk and I don't even know what they are. They're just cur it's curled up uh, negatives. So I guess, you know, pe some people are probably listening to this and thinking, well, why not just take digital photos with your phone and then use an app or something to make the photos look old? Wouldn't that be the same as a film, you know, photo? And 
I would say no, it's not the same. And um, a lot of a lot of the reason for that is basically that um, I, I hate these apps. I hate these apps that make your pictures look old. They don't make the pictures look real to me. They make the picture look like it's like a daguerreotype that was taken in 1855 and then uh, exhumed from an archaeological site. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like there are photos from World War II that are really, really sharp and really crisp. In fact, just last week, someone saw someone on Facebook discussing an original photo and saying there's no way that's a film photo it's too sharp you know film photos can be super super sharp even photos taken with the film and um the film and cameras of like 18 1875 or something can be super crisp um but there are certain aspects of original photos that vary depending on what kind of camera it was taken with um that i just and I know someone probably listening to this and thinking, well, I could make a photo that could fool you or anybody. I could take a digital photo and I could, I'm a professional at this and I've got the software and I can go in and tweak it and make it so that if you were looking at it on a computer screen, you would never be able to tell that it's digital. And that's probably true. But somebody probably could, right? But the overwhelming vast majority of people could not. I, I, sometimes I'll, I'll look back at my old, even my early box camera photos became, I, before I became better at it even, um, and there were photos that at the time that I took them, I didn't really think anything of them, but looking at them now, it's like, this photo really could pass for a real thing. You know, it really could. Like, nobody would guess that this was a reenactment photo. And um, I don't, th I never had that. I never had that experience taking digital photos or looking at pictures on my phone and making them black and white. You know, I never was, like, blown away by it. But that's something that you can do with film cameras of the time. And it doesn't necessarily... Film cameras of the time don't have to be super expensive. The, the, you know, you can get them for relatively cheap amounts of money. Like, the, the box cameras um, that I got started with, eventually I came to have... I probably have 65 of these cameras now or something because I'm a sick hoarder and I'm just buried under mounds of trash in my horrific hoarder house. But... Um, you know, if they were, look, if these things were expensive, I wouldn't have been able to amass these giant amounts of cameras. They're really not um, tremendously expensive. And uh, like, uh, Casey, I know you have a Leica camera, which is something that I have read people on the internet saying, well, I, I would love to have a Leica, but I just can't because it's too expensive. You know, and you've had, you've had two of them, right? I mean, I, I know that you, you paid for them, but they, it's not like, um, you're a uh, a millionaire or anything, right, Casey? No, I'm by no means a millionaire. Um, I guess one thing you would say is what what do you value these cameras at, and what do you find expensive? Um, for me, I tend to look at things for a while before buying just to see what the prices are going for. So when I do see something for what I would say a good deal is, I buy it. Um, the Leica. The Leicas I've bought were, uh, I think the first one was around $250 and it came with a post-war Russian lens. Um, and then the second one I bought for, I want to say $300. And they were actually both ironically the same exact camera made from the same year. That's cool. Uh, but I like to shoot them. Uh, I, it's one of those cameras I bring out not during reenacting as well as reenacting um they take great photos so i and i've kind of grown more into photography as a hobby so i i just found it as a good investment nice lasso what kind of cameras do you use 
Well, where do we start? Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, mostly I use uh, Leica 3, uh, same as uh, Casey. I have two of them. Uh, sometimes I also use a Zeiss Icon uh, Contacts, which is the Leica equivalent, just from another manufacturer. And I also have a um, Kodak, a couple of Kodak Retinas, which are like smaller folder prosumer grade cameras. Uh, that I also use. Uh, one of them is the smallest camera I own, and so that gets used a lot. Yeah, there's definitely an advantage to a smaller camera in a reenactment setting. You know, I really, uh, I'll bring a box camera to an event, but um, I will use it to take photographs like around camp, or maybe I'll set aside some time to walk around and take pictures with the box camera. But in like a tactical um where you're you're running around and taking cover like this this box camera is bulky there's not really anywhere to put it also a lot of box cameras from that time are just cardboard boxes so you know if you're running around with this bulky cardboard box from 1932 um you know it's it's there's definitely the possibility that it might get ruined and uh and it's awkward um so having something that can fit in the pocket of a field blouse or that you could tuck away, um, I think that definitely has advantages for sure. Yeah, and talking of that, the Leica is already a very small camera uh, compared to any other cameras, to be honest. Um, but um, still, the Kodak Retin I have, uh, Type 118 to be specific for all the nerds out there, is it, it, it's a little bit fatter than a smartphone, but it's shorter and just as wide, so it fits like in the breast pocket of any tunic, even the small pocket tunic ones. And it just and it has like thirty-eight frames per roll or something, so you get a lot of uh, photos out of the uh, out of the roll as well. So that is like probably the camera I carry the most, where the Leica comes with when I want to be more dedicated to taking photos. That's cool. Um, and I guess what kind of camera that you would use would, on some level, depend in part on what type of photography you were trying to do. Um, because the Leica, of course, it's expensive now, but it was very expensive at the time when it was new. And that, I think the same can probably be said for the Kodak Retina and other um, cameras of the time that took miniature film. Whereas, I guess, most amateur photographers or people that just wanted to take snapshots were probably using folding cameras or box cameras. Yeah. Which are, you know, they take, there's not as many settings. You don't have as many options with them. Um, you know, the quality of the lenses is generally not as good. So the results you will get, whether you're using a high-end camera from the 30s or 40s or a low-end camera that even children might have used, you're, you're going to get different results. And um, and I guess it kind of depends in part on the look that you're going for. I always liked the look of the private snapshots taken by the photos themselves. I'm, I'm sorry, the, uh, the private snapshots taken by the soldiers themselves. Yeah. Um, where, you know, these people were not 
professional photographers. They probably weren't rich people with access to the best gear. And so I do see a lot of original photos that are out of focus. The composition isn't very good. It's got uh, focus vignetting, meaning at the center of the print, it's very sharp focus. And then as you go out to the outside, it becomes more blurry. Um, or the it's overexposed or it's underexposed and I and I can look at those photos and think alright this is a photo that almost certainly was taken with a box camera or maybe a folding camera something that didn't have a lot of settings didn't have a lot of options maybe had a crappy viewfinder and uh, you know I can take photos with ease that look that look very similar to that and I don't know to me that's just really evocative of World War II but I know Lasse you have you do a uh, I guess a Kriegsberichter or a propaganda company impression where there were professional photographers that were taking pictures that were used for propaganda purposes for the war effort. And obviously those photos need to be on another level. You know, that requires technical proficiency to take photos that look like photos that were taken by professional photographers at the time. Yeah, certainly. And that's where the Leica comes in play because uh, the Leica was the... Um, one of the most professional um, small formats that is regular 35mm cameras in the world at the time. And I, in many ways, still is with their recent uh, cameras too. And uh, it's funny that as a Kriegsberger, you, like, you then, then the camera becomes a part of the impression as well. Whereas if you are a regular German soldier, it's impression-wise or reenactment-wise, it's very unlikely that he would have a very expensive uh, professional camera. It would be more likely that he, if he was interested in World War, in, in photography, he would probably have a Kodak Retina, which was more of the high-end prosumer cameras. But most likely no cameras or just sure. a folder, as you say, because those were um, cheaper. Yeah, folding cameras are really cool. Um, my problem with folding cameras from a reenactment perspective is that those cardboard bellows are are fragile. And a lot of times they can have light leaks even just because they're just old. You know, it's made out of this flexible cardboard or leatherette type material that develops pinholes from just being used. And, you know, especially after 80 years... Uh, they can be fragile. I know you've had some success with those, Lassa, and I know some other people have as well, but um, I don't know. To me, the, the bellows aspect of those cameras just freaks me out. I have one as well, uh, an Agfa Billy record. I out just actually broke it back out to shoot some more photos just because I prefer its convenience over a box camera, but I do agree that I do find it very fragile uh, with the bellows. Yeah. Now, Casey, you've never done like a uh, Kriegsberichter impression, um, right? But it's something that you've maybe thought about doing? Just one of those uh, impressions that I don't find an event where it's applicable. Um, just because, you know, there is multiple personnel and there's not that many people who are actually willing to do a Kriegsberichter impression. The only time I ever saw it was with uh, Lassa and his group of people at The Last Gap. Um, that kind of give me some motivation to get into it more, but the reality of reenacting is that it wouldn't be a realistic portrayal for that type of impression. But I do like to take uh, Kriegsberichter style pictures at reenactments, just because, uh, like you said, a lot of the more combat and realistic photos versus the photos that your average German soldier with a camera would have taken um, 
you would have more camp style photos with a, an average German soldier versus a Kriegsberichter who would take more combat, uh, more, I guess you would say, action shots. Now, Lasse, you, um, h- how long ago did you get started with taking like uh, motion picture footage at, at reenactments? Uh, that probably at reenactments been probably doing it for five years starting with 16 millimeter then moving into double eight millimeter and then eventually also 35 although that is very expensive i haven't touched that a lot were all the cameras that you used like uh original type cameras or the same type of cameras that um kriegsberichter might have had or what uh the um the problem with the uh, Kriegsbridge uh, um, motion picture cameras is that they use what was then and still is a um, a very professional setup. And the cameras they used, uh, the updated version that came in 1946, are still being used in uh, real movie productions. So it What's is. What's that, the Iriflex? Yeah, Ariflex is the company. They still exist and now they're known as Ari. But the uh, original Ari uh, 35, which they developed in 1936, is still being used because it's the smallest 35 millimeter camera that exists, which is a which is a common durable camera. So the problem is that you're basically competing against, um, well, big productions on getting those cameras. Casey, you've used, I guess, a couple of different uh, original cameras uh, for for yeah. like motion picture film yeah so uh i considered doing 16 millimeter film but like losses said it's pretty expensive and then 35 millimeters just very expensive for me as a uh i guess you would say a part-time hobby within a bigger hobby so i i try to stick to double eight millimeter film and i use the umig c3 uh they came in two different uh versions you have a black one which would be the early pre-war version and then you have a gray one that came out after the war and um the black ones were they're made in an austrian camera so they're made in austria and i have one that's made after the anschluss so it says made in germany on it and then i also have a siemens 8r which is a, a camera made in berlin that i use a lot how did you find out about these cameras so for the UMIG C3, uh, I actually talked to Lasa. Lasa was the one that got me into shooting motion picture film or motion film. And um, I just kind of did some research, um, just looking up pretty much the camera names on the internet and just kind of getting diving deep. The, uh, fir- the first UMIG C3 I bought came with the case, all of its lenses and accessories. Like I have so many accessories for this camera, like different lenses. I actually have an original manual for it that is uh, a German-made manual. I think it says uh, Deutsches Reich pattern on the back. And then I just started researching for other types of cameras that would have been made at the time. And I found the Siemens 8R, which was, I think, made in 1937 or 38. But it, it made Berlin. That's cool. Have you used both of those? I have. Uh I've been using the Siemens lately. Um, that's the one I brought to our last couple of events. And then the uh, one I was using originally for like the gap uh, photography I did, uh, that was the UMIG C3. 
you have a YouTube channel where you post these uh, some of your your videos, right? Yes, I do. Uh, shameless plug, but it's uh, Colonel Hogan film. I would encourage people to check it out because uh, I think that I think it's just really impressive. I mean, it's one thing to look at a still photograph and think, "Wow, that looks real," but uh, to see the motion picture stuff uh, that comes out of your cameras, I just think it looks like uh, you know, it looks like it was taken in World War II. It's like going back in time. Um, so we'll we'll put a link to it too in the show notes. Yeah, um, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh put my time into it like i hope people enjoy my stuff lasa don't you still have footage from the gap in 2018 or something that you haven't developed yet yes that is correct i um... it would be cool to see that stuff (laughs) yeah i am that's um... a cool strategy to just take it and then not not develop (laughs) or watch it it's kind of realistic in a way it's you know we should wait 70 years Wait seven years or just never see it because you got to think during World War II, a lot of soldiers probably shot film that they never were able to <laughs> to develop or to see. So in a way, it maybe it's more realistic to shoot the film and then just never do anything with it ever. Yeah, the thing is now I have four eight millimeter rolls and I don't know like <laughs> fifty still photography rolls that I need to get processed. So I'm I need to get like those shipped out very soon. Yeah, hopefully you can get that stuff developed just in time for all World War II reenactment content to finally get kicked off the internet so that no one can ever see it. <laughs> Lassie, you can send me some of your your still film. I'll, I'll develop it for free. Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> so nice. Uh, when I was started shooting more 8mm film at reenactments, I went to Stalingrad, Ohio in 2019. And my film's up there on, on my uh, YouTube channel. But what I actually shot versus what came out somewhat clear um, was a disaster, absolute disaster. I had shot a huge movement from our my perspective of being a part of the, the, the headquarters staff where the scenario was that we shot or we started the, the uh, offensive, the whole German side started the offensive into the factory and we had started in the trenches so we came out you got artillery simulators going off which you obviously can't hear on film on motion picture film that i have but it was a very zony uh time we all went out and i was shooting everyone like from my my point of view going through the trenches with uh smoke and everything and just a lot of very zony things were going on i was filming everything it was going to be like the best reenactment footage ever and I got all of this on film. I, I, I put my camera underneath it because with double, double eight millimeter film, it's essentially 16 millimeter film that's double perforated. Basically what you do is you shoot one side of it and then you flip it over and it'll shoot the other side of it. So you have a piece of film that has two little exposures on either side. And then what they do is they cut it exactly down the middle and splice it together. So when I went to flip it, I threw it under my Feldbluse and flipped it over. They have a lead on film, 8mm film, for that reason to expose it, that first set of things. You, you'll roll it through the camera because that's just – it's going to be exposed. It's just the nature of the beast in most situations. And I flipped it over and shot the rest of it. Now, what's on my YouTube channel is before the battle or before that offensive – and after the offensive. And I had this very zony 
trenches and smoke and people shooting and just like it was the coolest thing ever and i got it on film um and yeah nothing came out nothing at all uh complete waste of time film uh and i'm still so butthurt to this day <laughs> let's transition a little bit away from talking about the technical aspect and just talk about like what makes a good reenactment photograph like like Casey, what does that mean to you? What what are you trying for when you're taking your pictures at reenactment? For me, I mean, before a reenactment, I'll have some ideas in my head of like photos I want to take depending on the scenario. And I'll just, you know, I'll look at maybe, for instance, if we're doing something 1942 related or something along those lines, I'll try to like think about and look at photos that, you know, showed up around that time or that scenario and then think about where I'm going to be going and what I'm going to be doing at that specific event and go, all right, maybe I'm going to try to aim towards that. Uh, and then more or less what ends up happening is I completely ignore all of that. And then I just will be kind of hang, hanging out around with a camera and I'm like, oh, that's, that's a good photo. Let me take that one. And there's really no rhyme or reason for me. What about when you're like looking at photos after the event, whether they're your photos or someone else's, what are you like, look, what, what are you, what makes you think, wow, that's a really great photo? Usually it's just got, it's got to jump out at me saying like, wow, that's really realistic looking. And then I don't like stage photos whatsoever. Those, those are the worst things that, in my opinion, it's, if it looks too staged and fake, it's just doesn't look like a good photo. And it's got like, I don't want it to be too perfect it can't be like the most clear cut photo in the world. Like, like you said earlier, I like kind of seeing like a little bit of blur because a lot of these photos, you didn't, they weren't, the, the soldiers weren't professional photographers, you know? And if you got like an action photo and it, it's too good looking and too perfect, it chances are it's staged. What do you look for, Chris? Well, for me, um, I want to be able to look at the photo. I guess there's, there's two different ways that I look at reenactment photos. The first way is if someone has, if someone is skilled at photography, at composition, and, and especially if they're using film, you know, I'll look at a photo and kind of evaluate it on an aesthetic sense. Is this a beautiful image? Is this, uh, is this a great photograph? You know, and does this look real? Does it look like a photograph that was taken during the war years? Uh, but beyond that, I really like looking at pictures that people took at reenactments, especially reenactments that I didn't go to, because I like to look at the photos and evaluate what's in the photo. Does it look like a realistic setting? Is Are the uniform details correct? Do the people look like, you know, they could be people in World War II? Um, you know, there's this whole... Um, Photo photographs in general, they offer me a view to reenactment events that I'm never going to get a chance to go to. You know, I love looking at pictures of the events that they have in Europe. Some of the photos that come out of that are absolutely incredible. You know, even the digital photos, just look at what they're doing is, is super cool. Um, or the, the unfortunate like counterpart to that is sometimes you look at, or I'll look at photos from a reenactment somewhere else and you just shudder because it's like, doesn't look good. You know, when I when I take photos, um, oftentimes I'm kind of like when I'm at the reenactment, depending on what the reenactment is. But if it's an immersive scenario and I'm shooting photos with my box camera, I'm kind of in the zone. I'm like pretending it's World War Two and I'm not really necessarily thinking about how these photos that I'm taking are going to look after I get back home to 2021 and can develop this stuff and post it on Facebook. 
Um, but before the stuff gets shared with anybody, when I do develop it, I look at all of my own photos very carefully to try to spot, okay, is there anything wrong here? Is there something wrong with the way someone's wearing a uniform? Or is there some, is there a modern vehicle visible in the picture? And if there is something like that, I don't share it. You know, I might share it with people in my group or people who are in the picture, but I'm not going to post that on the internet because I'm trying to, I'm trying to post the best stuff. I'm trying to post, you know, the best content that I can create at the reenactments that I go to. And so I think that, um, I don't know, I, I see people sometimes they'll post a photo dump of 200 photos that they took at the event and it's like it's overwhelming and 150 of them look exactly the same as each other and you know some of the other 50 have a ford bronco you know in the frame and uh, that's not my style i i'll take photos and then i'll share like the best ones you know i'll share the top 10 percent of the pictures that i took at a given event or if there's like a real lot that i took at an event i'll space out over a, a few days or a week or two weeks you know where where i share them with people so that i'm not just just launching this like blitzkrieg assault of uh event photos that i know no one's going to have the stamina to scroll through 200 photos but i understand some people might have to do the 200 photo thing because if um I've seen lately there's kind of been a trend to having dedicated photographers at events and encouraging participants not to be taking photos with their cell phones, which I think is great. It's like, hey, look, um, keep your digital, digital cameras in your, uh, in your phone in your car, and there's going to be somebody or multiple people at the event taking pictures, and then after the event, we'll share all the pictures so you can find the pictures that show you and your group, which I think is a totally reasonable way to go about doing it. Yeah. Lessa, what's your idea about good reenactment photos? Well, where do I even start? If I see that Ford Bronco in the background, just Photoshop it and I share the photo. <laughs> I'm horrible. Uh, but that's cheating, you know. I would never do that. I regard that as cheating. Well, that's what it did during the war as well. They just used analog Photoshop. Yeah, but they didn't crop out a Ford Bronco. You know what I mean? How do you know they didn't? Look, now, every single time I see a photograph that you post, I'm going to assume there was a Ford Bronco in it that you photoshopped out. <laughs> Ford Bronco is, I've, wasn't even sold in Norway, so. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, I mean, I come from this from a very different uh, point of view, and I believe that my big problem in, um, in, uh, in this is that I... I want to take like uh, propaganda style photos uh, or like the photos you see are published officially by the by the German military and the German state. But the problem is that photographers were trained different back then. And I have worked a lot of gigs as a commercial or portrait or, uh, you know, concert photography, venue photography and all of that. So... I'm trained very modern uh, in my photography style. And I see myself struggling to get that World War II feel because every time I take a photo, I automatically go to like my modern composition style. And um, that has been a problem. And I just, I myself feel like I can't take a good World War II style photo. It's interesting. I think you take great photos, Les. I like your, I like your pictures. 
well, I, I appreciate it. Uh, but, um, I mean, um, I've been discussing this with another guy, uh, but uh, there's a uh, the British guy, he's called Rory, hello Rory, from the Soldaten, and he picked up a an analog camera from from the period, and he just, he, he says he just goes out and take photos, and those photos are like the bomb, in my opinion. And I'm just like, why can't I get those photos to look good? This is an amateur. I'm a professional. Why can't can I not replicate this? And it's so so frustrating. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I will use my phone to take pictures at events, and sometimes it can get excessive and it can detract. And uh, when I'm at an event and someone's waving a digital camera around, in those moments when I'm trying to have like a real time travel moment, it definitely uh, I'm not impressed by it, you know, but if uh, someone is taking box camera photos or photos with a Leica or, you know, a, a period movie camera, especially that sound, the clicking sound of the film going through and this, the spring and the gears moving and everything, it's that that to me is very zony and makes the event feel more real. I yeah, I agree. It does a lot for the immersion. Cameras so I'm always going to think Casey think that people should use pre-1945 cameras however versus using a, a cell phone or a digital camera i think any film camera at that at, at that point would be okay and i really think it would depend on that person's uh unit and how they depending on the scenario i'm sure I, i've seen at our events that you know you don't always bring a post-war camera to the event um but I think it would be kind of on the scenario and on the the reenactment itself whether that would be like okay. I don't see really huge a huge issue with it as long as it's not you know a really post-war camera. I think like within like 1960 or you know earlier, I think that would be okay. But it really depends on your unit, the event, and how much realism and how much zone you're going for. What about you, Lasso? Yeah, and no, the thing is. Um, I'm too much of a camera geek, so any camera beyond 1945 just doesn't roll with me. You could just as well use some post-war uh, German kit, basically, for your <laughs> reenactment gear. Uh, with a few notable exceptions, as for example, the um, like the Ariflex cameras. They're very hard to find pre or. Um, like wartime ones because there were only manufactured a thousand of them and the post-war ones are very identical but um, yeah nah, I would say wartime or pre-war cameras but then again as Casey says 1950s 1960s it, it works those cameras can be had very very silly cheap and um, will produce more than good enough yeah, results. And just to add on to that, I think that um, besides rangefinder cameras, a lot of these pre-1945 cameras you can find on places like eBay that you can find affordable cameras if you want to get into film. First box camera that I ever got, I gutted, and my point was that I was going to put a modern camera inside of it, like a modern digital camera and then use the box camera to disguise the modern camera. And only later I realized I was this was so totally silly because I basically destroyed an original camera that probably would have worked and turned it into something that I never actually did <laughs> um, use. C Casey, I know you recently uh, took a non-functional camera and put a smaller 
like a digital camera inside it. Is that right? I did. So uh, unfortunately, I had my second UMIG C3 had fallen um, in my move. And basically, the lens was completely cracked. Uh, it wasn't good. And then I had some parts inside that were not good. And it was it was a parts camera to begin with. It wasn't a great working camera. It was very uh, sluggish with its operation. But pretty much, I couldn't... I, I have a good camera. My parts camera, essentially, that hardly worked. Now has a cracked, cracked lens. And there's some internal parts that are, aren't working. Um, so, yes, I, I, I gutted it. And then I had... I bought... A small, uh, they had like a, it was like a spy camera, a 1080p spy camera that I put inside. Uh, I had to do some Dremel work in it just to take take out the uh, guts. But it was a, a pretty inexpensive camera. And basically if I ever feel like I want to um, take some reenactment footage or just some like stuff that I think is cool that, you know, I, I don't necessarily have time to shoot motion picture film with. I can do that, and unless you know that specific camera, you wouldn't really know the difference of what I was doing. Um, and it goes straight to my cell phone. It records straight to my cell phone, so it's just something... Uh, That's cool. You know, easy, that I, you know, if I get any good footage off of that, it'd be cool. I'm not going to dress it up as a film or anything like that. Sure. Yeah, just have it be what it is. Yeah. There's one thing that is sort of a paradox from your complex. Uh, you know, you probably come across that some uh, reenactment, um, well, photographers to say like that, uh, have gotten their photos stolen either for like books or magazines or even just on eBay as original photos. It happened recently to a Kriegsbericht um, impression friend of mine and he posted that his photo was taken and sold on ebay as a um <laughs> as an original and people were like oh i'm reporting it and i'm just sitting there like damn why doesn't this happen to me probably one of the first events i shot film at which was at a place called fort Tabor in massachusetts and i got a couple pictures that just I, I don't know if it was the type of film I was using and the box camera I had just had, it just shot really nice photos that had its own character to it. And I have a photo of myself actually that it just, you, if you didn't know who I was and I posted it on the internet without any context, it would easily be cons like, you would think it's an original photo with it just the way it was developed with, you know, stuff coming on the actual film itself while it was drying and just like the the backdrop and the it's just not a perfect photo it's got some grain to it it's absolutely perfect to me and i'm really proud of that photo as well like that's what i mean with my composition being like probably too modern to be like mistaken for a w proper world war ii photo because i've it i want this so <laughs> badly to happen well you just gotta me. post more photos last uh, i swear to god like it's just a matter of the quantity of photos because um, I've seen the most obvious reenactor photos in the world being sold as original photos, you know, and I know your photos are good and realistic looking. And I post a lot of photos on the internet or I used to, especially when I got, when I first started to get really into film photography, I really dove into it with two feet and I was posting tons of photographs on the internet and it wasn't long at all before somebody, um, was, 
using my photograph and saying that it was an original thing, you know, to prove a point. Um, so I don't know. Is it is it harmful to world history to post realistic looking photos from reenactment? I guess you could make the case that it is. I don't really think it is. I don't I don't think it is either. I mean, I know plenty of reenactment photos that are out there saying that they're original photos. Um, the classic one is that I think that Falschmjäger shooting the MG42 in the woods. Um, that's a reenactment sure. photo. But I think that, that it's kind of this the counter argument too that especially with uh, film photography and reenacting is if you can shoot fi- photos that are convincible to most people that they're originals and they're starting to sell on eBay, I think you've done your job. And you I gotta do done your my job. job. You got to develop gotta those films, you know. Yeah, develop your film. There, you could have the lucky contestant in <laughs> the there. The first step Maybe to having there. the picture be mistaken for original is developing it. <laughs> you might see it on my eBay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, get around I don't know, to I've, it. I've had people say, hey, you know, it's dangerous, Chris, what you're doing with these photos. They look too real. The thing is, is that... Uh, my scans, scans of my photos are never going to make their way to some archive where they're going to get an institutional seal of approval and then get into a history book or something. That's never going to happen. I mean, they, they're going to circulate on social media and, you know, maybe make their way to eBay or the collector's market. Maybe, maybe, you know, probably not, but maybe. And I don't think that's a tremendous problem, especially from a collector standpoint, you know, I've I've actually had this happen to me a few times where I bought original photos on eBay and then I get it and it's just like printed on modern paper and I'll go back and I'll read the auction description really carefully and I'll see that they've put it down there in the 50th line of their sales conditions. It's like, this is a reprint, you know, and it's just like, great, <laughs> I got scammed kind of. Um, but it's not, you know, it's really hard to make a print, I think especially, that could pass as a wartime or pre-war or you know 1940s era print is would be really really hard to do i would say that is even easier what about the paper um what about like the marks on the back of the paper the brands you know where it says agfa lupex or whatever it says yeah no not all papers have that and um the thing is you can get unmarked paper that doesn't have any of these watermark stuff on the back and um the um in World War II, they used uh, fiber-based paper, which is plenty available today, even in the correct uh, ISO uh, grain uh, light sensitivity as well. And if you also get like a period decal photo cutter, which I have, you can get like the nice decal edges as well, and you will basically have a one-to-one original See, photo. That's been really. my missing link as far as my re- reenactment photography goes: is getting that printed photo to match like original photos that I own with the 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 border and every everything I've ever printed out or had someone do on a larger it always has like a, a very sh- like shiny sheen to it on the photo it just doesn't match any of the, the original photos I own yeah that is modern resin coated yeah, paper um, exactly. I've had that problem too the so I mentioned, uh, like at the start of this episode, the beginning of my journey where I used to get my stuff developed at a local lab. That lab has since gone out of business, which is the case for a lot of analog film labs all over the world, um, where now it's it's a good thing that I 
can develop my own black and white film because if I couldn't, I'd have to send it out. I have to mail it somewhere. But that place used to be able to do contact prints for me, which was so cool because the box camera usually has a six by nine centimeter negative, which is about the size of those little tiny soldier snapshot photos that you know are all over the world. You can find them on eBay or whatever. And so I would get contact prints made, and they looked really cool, but it didn't look like a uh, real photo from World War II because they didn't have the fiber paper. You know, they had a modern paper stock. Um, exactly. There are fakes. There are a lot of fakes on the market of um, wartime photos. There's like tons and tons of these fake Russian archive photos that have like uh, notations in Cyrillic on the back. You know, reenactors would really have to work really hard to make lots and lots of prints to uh, even come close to you know, the amount of fake stuff that's out there from people who are just trying to defraud collectors or make a buck or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. just forget that. Uh, but uh, speaking of this, when I was in the darkroom community, I did actually take original World War II negatives from the German uh, soldiers and actually make my own prints on, uh, well, modern fiber paper. And you couldn't tell it's modern. Everything about that is basically original except like the manufacture really date cool. of the paper casey what do you think what what should people be looking at uh to start off with this stuff so just like you said it, it can be very daunting uh with you two specifically getting me into film um i remember being super intimidated by you know what what camera should i get what how do i load it um where do i get the film where do i get it developed is this the right way to do it you know and then if you go on a foot photography website as far as like who would develop your film what's pulling what's pushing um it's it's all can be very daunting but i would just say first joining that group on facebook um there's a lot of people on there who will answer your questions and then i would just say depending on your impression um you can get a camera whether it's german or american um they you know plenty of german soldiers had american cameras because they had places in germany that sold them and then you can go to any place like b and h photography in america um very cheap film pretty cheap shipping uh i i would suggest getting a 120 camera just because the film's cheap um it, it's very basic camera you can go on places like ebay or uh if, like chris said if you live in america and you go to an antique store uh, I always see old cameras there, especially pre-World War II. And then you can just get your film. You can look at a YouTube tutorial. That's what I did. Um, or ask someone on Facebook. And there's, there's plenty of places that I'm sure will develop your film. Like uh, for what I used to use was uh, Old School Photo Lab up in New England. It's in New Hampshire. Uh, I think it was maybe $15 to at the most to scan and develop film um and that might be on the higher side of things and it was about a week's turnaround time and then it went, if you get more into it and you find yourself liking the hobby uh with photography then you could invest in you know tanks and developing and scanning stuff like uh we have the one thing that i wish that uh, i had known before i got started was how much latitude there is with film you know because the camera has all these settings on it, like 
some some cameras have more than others, but um, the, it might have an aperture setting and a shutter speed setting, and obviously you can get film in different speeds. And I thought that you had to make sure that everything was exactly the right value, or you weren't going to get a usable picture. And then um, what I eventually learned was that you can take photos with the same settings in a tremendous different variety of lighting conditions and get a photo that might be a little darker or a little lighter than you want it to be, but it's going to be a usable picture and it's probably going to be just fine. Technically with film, uh, film stores a lot of information in the highlights, but uh, not so much in the shadows. So it's always better to overexpose film because... Um, like up to a certain extreme, you you basically can't overexpose mm. film. I guess the other thing I wish I had known when I got started was how uh, how easy it is to develop the film, and it just takes it takes like less than a half an hour to develop a roll of film. The stuff to develop it is not expensive, and uh, I I could have saved a lot of money if I'd transitioned uh, sooner into doing my own developing at home. Oh, absolutely. And I actually found myself when I first started developing film where I was measuring the the how much water I put in and everything else and the temperature. And now I just kind of, you know, eyeball how much I should put in with water mixed in with like the developer. And I don't even like as long as it's like semi-cold, uh, a little bit cold in room temperature, it's usually fine. I've never had issues. Now, Chris, uh, I dev I took your took on your technique. Uh, tell everyone how you uh, use your darkroom. Oh, my darkroom! I uh, well, what I do is I put a bunch of uh, my reenactment wool blankets on my bed, and then I shut off the light in my room, and then I go into the room and uh, go underneath those blankets, and then I open up the uh, roll of film, and I load the tank underneath the blankets, and then I come out of the blanket, and it's and it's ready to uh, to be developed. And that's what I use. I don't even have a, a changing bag or anything like that. I just go under some, some blankets in, in my bed, and that's where I load the developing tank. It honestly works great. Um, I, I, I do it all the time. I do it all the time, too. I, I shut off my lights. I've actually uh, shunned away from doing reenactment blankets. I have this, uh, like, fleece brown dark brown blanket in my room that i'll throw over my head and um like the last time i did last time i developed a film film roll it was a uh, 120 and i i hadn't developed 120 in a while it's just been 35 millimeter and i must have been under there oh i don't know like 35 40 minutes because i couldn't get it on the um the reel and i come out <laughs> i come out beat with sweat and i'm like my wife just looks at me and she's like, what happened? I'm like, I couldn't get it on the roll. I ended up wrapping it around the roll instead of just getting it on the reel. It was a nightmare, but Ugh. it works great. I The first time, I, I think the first time I ever uh, developed a roll of film with that technique, I had a similar problem where I had practiced a few times with a ruined roll of film to make sure that I could get it um, on the reel. But then when I was trying to do it in the dark, um, I couldn't get it. And then underneath the blanket my breath was like, you know, steaming up the, the film. So it was getting like damp and sticky, you know, and I was sweating. Yeah, it was a nightmare. I, I wrecked, I think I wrecked the film, but now I could do it. No problem. I could do it. You know, I've done it so, so many times now. And I just, it's no problem. <laughs> every, every once in a while I'll have like on the leader. Cause uh, for the like, you have to cut it, the, the leader differently to, 
put it onto the camera. So I ended up like kind of tearing it and doing this weird thing. So every time I go to load the film under the blanket, it, it might not, you know, necessarily lead onto the, the reel so perfectly. And, you know, I, I definitely lose some weight under those blankets. <laughs> yeah, sure. The uh, developing tank that I use uh, came out of the basement of an old house and is like some uh, 75-year-old stainless steel tank, you know, and, and it works fine. You know, and I, I have a bunch of stuff for making prints. I have an enlarger that's old and I've never used it. Someday I will, uh, maybe, but um, I don't know. It's fun. It's, a, it's like a hobby within a hobby, taking film pictures at reenactments. My biggest mistake with film photography and reenacting was when I first got into it, I, you know, didn't really know too much about it. So I did a lot of research to the point where I did so much research that I kind of psyched myself up when I was shooting film at events. And I would try to look for the best photo or try to get like exactly what I wanted instead of just shooting multiple photos. Um, Cause I just wanted to film like, a, a, like any film photos at that point. And I paid too much attention to the exposure levels and like waiting for the right light and like where I just needed to be shooting film and you know kind of worrying about that that type of stuff later on and I hardly took any photos and they were either extremely overdeveloped or underdeveloped because I didn't understand how the light exposure with like the ISO and the speed of the film and the size of the, the, the of the camera um, it's it was just tough. I just remembered it. Uh, I have a video on YouTube where I go through how to use double eight millimeter film for your motion picture cameras. Where I use the, if I remember correctly, I used the Omeg C3 that Casey was talking about as uh, in the video. So I'm gonna link that because that's a very thorough guide on it. I also have a uh, same similar guide for my uh, Siemens 8R for. Uh, loading and shooting film with that it's pretty much the same thing and then as a final final note for everybody who's like um, anxious kind of scared to do film photography because it seems complicated um, as Chris said it, it is absolutely not and there's a um, photographer whose name escaped me who has a very nice quote and his quote is that if you think an analog camera is complicated, then try to open the menu on a modern camera. Right, like what's more complicated than an iPhone? You know what I mean? I don't even know what the heck is inside that thing. You're even hitting the menu button on a compact camera. Even a simple compact camera will have several yeah, totally. submenus in no, every I, menu. I've said that, I've sold a lot of box cameras to reenactors and I always tell them it's, it's uh, more simple to use than a modern digital camera and that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah, you just gotta jump right into it. All right, guys, I think that's all the time that we have. Casey, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been a pleasure being on here. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for coming. Um, so everybody out there, uh, till next time, stay safe. And guys, I will see you in the field. See you, see in, you the in the field. field. Don't forget to use our 7% discount code off of Fedakopf at german-worldward2.com. And if you buy something there and you go to the checkout and you use the discount code PODCAST2020, that is PODCAST2020, you will get a very nice discount.
Once again, uh, and as always, thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retro Man, for editing this podcast.